Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. It's time. Get ready for some awesome. And you know what's really awesome? Podbean. Your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing network. I don't... I don't like you using my my thing for Podbean. Thing. No, well, speak. Yeah. Speaking of you using my stuff, we'll get to that in a second. But right now, we're talking about Podbean, the all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing network. If you like me, have thought I need to host a podcast, how do I do that? The answer is clear. It's easy. Go to Podbean. They'll take care of you like they've taken care of me. And now with their new mobile app, you can even post a podcast directly from your phone. You can record it. Post it. Simple as that. Wham, bam. Thank you, sir. Podbean, your all-in-one podcast hosting and publishing provider. Or, you you know, you could also consider that maybe the world is too noisy already. And maybe you're just adding to the noise. No. Maybe reconsider your life if you're like Luke thinking about starting a podcast. You know, speaking of reconsidering your life, I'm talking to a man from Arkansas wearing a, a wife beater shirt right now so maybe i need to reconsider my life it's an eight shirt first off i believe is the term for it <laughs> okay and you had me take off my shirt because <laughs> the microphone that i was wearing the apple headphones okay so don't pretend like you're you know like i just show up to this thing like this so we've spent uh eight days together this month nine nine nine, nine days. days it seems like longer and I've noticed that you have a new hairstyle. Um, did did nine days with me inspire you to get a new hairstyle? For, I don't have. It new looks hairstyle. new. It looks different right now. I got a haircut today. Mm-hmm. It's. I just don't get my haircut every two weeks. Hey, I, like, your hair looks good. I'm saying if I was just asking, did nine days with me inspire you to make a hairstyle change? That was my question because <laughs> it looks like it did. <laughs> No, okay. nine, nine Days With You did inspire me to do a lot of changes in my life, a lot of soul searching, <laughs> but, but nothing like that. No. Um, hey, here's a question. Yes. When last time I saw you in the London airport, mm-hmm. you told me there was a very good chance that you were going to see your hairstylist before you saw <laughs> no, your family. No, that, <laughs> no, that of course not. Nine no, no. There was an issue. Okay. Morgan was going to be out of town, and so I had to wait a few extra days. And um, But no, of course, I came home and saw my kids first. You made the right choice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. There was, a, there was a, <laughs> a moment or two where I thought it was a coin flip. No. What you were going to do first. No, that's not, that's not true at all. Um, well, so you still have a hang-up about not wanting to tell people... Why we went on a trip together? Are you going to, like, fess up and talk about No, I mean, you've obviously, you don't care about what I think, <laughs> so you've already told people that we... I, I wanted Highland and Westover to hear first. So as long as you don't say what the series is or anything, we went to Greece. Be, because there's n- nowhere in our world where people try to give teasers or trailers about something that they're working on as a way to inspire and create interest. I mean, movies don't put out many, many sure. movies and authors don't come on this podcast simply because they love me and they want to talk to me and not because they want to promote their books or anything. Yeah, after their books are published, oh. right? Like after, at the right time. So... Uh, speaking of books being published and mistakes being <laughs> <laughs> um, 
congrats. Thank you. Now it can be now it can be public. That uh, hurts. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Are you are you done with well, it? Well, yep. Good over God. <laughs> what? God there over it is. God. There it is. Whatever. I, I didn't know which way you were going to I was <laughs> still not decided yet. I've got I've got till October first <laughs> to turn. It's either Richard Dawkins or Francis. Thieber. Yeah, one of the which- or even Francis Spuford. Yeah, um, I was talking to Wade yesterday about the uh, the book, and he goes, "Yeah, uh, after talking to you about this uh, <laughs> this book deal you got, now I see why the publishing industry is in the <laughs> in the toilet." <laughs> yeah, it, it's so encouraging when all your friends are very affirming of your writing and projects that you've been working on for a while. So thank you for that. You just reflect back what we've been getting for years. For years. Can I tell you what I have done this past month um, a couple times? When people say, what do you do for a living? Last week I was on vacation with Lindsay and someone said, hey, what do you do for a living? I was like, I'm on vacation. I don't know. Like, I, I love Jesus, but I don't want to talk about Jesus like a pastor. I just want to... Love Jesus professionally. Yeah, I don't want to do... And so I said, uh, I'm a writer and Lindsay's eating something. She goes... <laughs> <laughs> She almost choked during lunch. I was like, I'm, I'm just trying something different out. You know, I feel like that's somewhat honest at this point. I can say that, but I was... Dude, so this is actually something that we could talk about, because I have multiple other people. How I asked a, a mutual bars, how, how early on in the conversation do you tell somebody? And um, you made fun of me telling... People, what you said was prematurely. Right? Yes. Okay. Here's the example. We were um, possibly getting kicked off an island or prevented from doing part of the work that we were there to do in Greece, since I can say that. And you're like, ah, we're, we're two preachers from America. And I'm like, Jonathan, <laughs> what is that? What is it? That's the hee-haw. And we said. That's how you sounded. That's exactly. As, yeah. You said it as though that was somehow going to give us credibility or like, oh, well, in that case, we'll just let it. I want to know because the guy was asking, is it a professional thing that we were doing? I didn't know the example you were going to give. I can think of a few other times I told somebody that we were, and you eventually were like, chill on the preacher <laughs> thing, man. You, okay, we just have. I'm trying to, I, I try to have like normal conversations, be a normal human being with people in a largely post-Christian world, and then reveal preacher and that we're normal and we don't your your you definition know. of normal is probably the the hinge of this <laughs> disagreement <tough>. here <laughs> <laughs> so was your problem more the word we're that <laughs> you're in the same category with yeah me. that's what it is i okay so your assumption is you're going to normalize the life of a preacher yeah. with your winsome nature and character Okay, fair enough. I just tend to think that whenever you say you're a preacher, people act differently, and the conversation changes. Like, we go yeah. to... A f- I won't do it so much in Texas, because it seems like it would give you more, like, uh, it's almost be a power play, you know? Like, yeah. there's a little privilege mm-hmm. to being a preacher. But when, when I'm on a plane going somewhere or talking to somebody outside the Bible, but I try to... I will wait to bring it up until they know I'm a normal human being and care mm-hmm. about um, what the majority of people in the world care about. Yeah. You know, just that kind of stuff. And then I'll say. You just want 
as soon as you cross that they're not thinking I'm Westboro Baptist, then you can talk to right. them. Right. I mean, right. I get that. Um, I just hate when the, like, the gears shift automatically when they find out you're a preacher. You know? Yeah, they, they shift in different ways, too, don't they? I, yeah. I had one um, two days ago on an airplane where I was almost home. It was like 10 o'clock at night, and so it was a late flight. And the guy, uh, there was a row, and the guy next to me on the other side of the row, or excuse me, the aisle, he had five like uh, hotel room liquor bottles with him. And I was like, man, you're, you're ready to go. Like This is a 30-minute flight. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the time frame on how you're going to consume <laughs> all of this. And uh, he, he explained how much he has disdain for flying with a few words that are sure, given yeah. uh, expletive status in our culture. And uh, then he goes, so what do you do in Austin? I'm like... And I didn't do. I should have used a writer right then, but I didn't. I went. Well, I'm a preacher. Yeah, that that's when I would use the writer. <laughs> but I didn't. He goes, oh, and then he turned to his person to his left, and that was that was almost the end of it. So, um, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, that that is a bad example. I one time was flying with a guy, and he was like uh, my age. I was like 29, 30. It was that back when I was at the hills, and he was from New York City. And when I told him I was a preacher, he asked, and this is after we got to know each other for like an hour, he started laughing so hard. And then he was like, like, for real? Like I was a human zoo. He had never met a preacher. He didn't know that they were a real thing. Like, it was, it was, yeah. it was a different experience altogether. Well. If he could see you right now, he would know just how normal you are. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Congrats on the book Thank deal, you. Luke. When's it come out? Uh, I don't know. I think I have to turn in my uh, first, like the turn in the manuscript in first um, of October, and so I assume mm-hmm. I don't know, like a year, nine to nine months to a year after that. So it'll be a while, as you well know. Can we put a moratorium on talking about it until <laughs> the nine months. That hurts. That Rider, hurts. that hurts. Rider, I uh, I tweeted something about writing yesterday, and Wade's like, "So you wanted to remind everyone that you're writer? It's been uh, like six days, so thanks for keeping that <laughs> posted." <laughs> so I uh, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, thank you for. Yeah. From what you told me about it on our trip, it's going to be a good book. Sincerely, I mean that that sounds like you've done good work, and you, I, I'm excited to. Read it, although I refuse to pay for it, <laughs> Baker Public. <clears throat> Last night I was uh, going to bed, and uh, I got a text, and uh, it was like 11 o'clock. And I was like, who's texting you right now? And I was like, oh, it's Paul. Paul's Australia Paul. And uh, I was like, different time zone. And she's like, what is, could be so important? And I go, uh, Paul's the first person to read the first five chapters of the book, so the whole world's going to stop as I wait to see if I have way. What did he say? He, was, he had positive things to say, which is surprising for Paul. Um, because I sent him something probably six months ago or eight months ago, and he goes, well, congratulations on getting some words on a paper. That's a big accomplishment. And anytime you start off with that sort of, <laughs> well, it's, just, it's great that you're writing. Uh, you know it's not good. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. What, what, what about Paul makes you want to send it to him? Like, is he an editor? No, he's just a, um, a trusted friend. <laughs> Who knows Joel Osteen? Joel Osteen. Yeah, Joel he knows Houston. Joel Osteen. Uh, no, Paul's just good. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Both have great hair. Um, no, uh, no. I mean, Paul's a good buddy. We, I, I talk with him a whole bunch. So it just, 
he sends me some of his video stuff he's working on and whatever. Anyway, cool. let's what? jump into the podcast. Anything else you'd months? like to yeah. say about our, our time together? Are you? Uh, maybe next, maybe okay. next month. Because I mean, there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that happened. Like we saved a person on a hill. We, but we, don't, I we saved. We, 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 hmm. we did. And a Ukrainian mm-hmm. doctor, but yeah, doctors. I think the wife was a doctor as well. Anyway, uh, it's 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 it very generous that you say we, since it was really me. Um, you literally <laughs> were walking right by and was like, "Hey, I think I need to stop and help this person." Anyway, um, oh, and then yeah. Oh. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you? You, you carried. I was talking. You carried to you someone's backpack, and, and that was really thoughtful of you to do that. I carried someone. <laughs> I carried a human being. I carried a human being. Backpack. A human oh, being's you. backpack. Okay, let's ju- let's start with um, Eugene Peterson. I don't think that was the first one for the month, but uh, Eugene Peterson definitely has uh, taken the lion's share of at least m- a lot of our world on uh, the internet in terms of uh, an interview he did with Jonathan Merritt, not with myself. Um, talk Merritt, the real newsmaker. <laughs> you know, when, when I... F- real oh, newsworthy. That's, that's a little too close to home. That's a little too close. Okay. When I first... So the story, if, if you've uh, missed it somehow, uh, Eugene Peterson's basically put up... This is his last book. I believe he's kind of withdrawing from the public life, and uh, it's a collection of sermons that he's written. So this is kind of kind of like a victory lap almost. Like this guy's done so much and he's written so much and helped so many people. Yeah, and yeah. this is kind of like the last thing. And Merritt does a three-part piece on Peterson and he waits to the very last. So this is his last interview with Eugene Peterson, the third part of it. And then he drops a bombshell in which he's asked Peterson his view on gay marriage. And in the piece, I don't know the exact phraseology, but some of the extent of, yes, I would do a gay marriage and he comes out as supportive of it. And then the response of the Christian community, how, how would you describe the response to that? Uh, it was pretty, you know, I, got, I saw mixed stuff because I'm not on Twitter very much anymore. And so when I got on, I was like, what happened? People are, you know, so very much against it, but then also trying to nuance, you know, Russell Moore's writing pieces for the Gospel Coalition, like, but I'm still going to use Eugene stuff, just disagreement. In there. I mean, it, I think they respect that the people who were upset, even them respected a, Eugene enough that they parsed. <laughs> the Gospel Coalition people said that? Like, we're st- Russell Moore uh, said it on there. Scotty Sauls, who hmm. I, I really like, he's a Nashville pastor, um, wrote a thing on there about how he's still going to use read Eugene, Eugene Peterson stuff and um yeah I mean I I, I think people it was just it's just a flash button yeah. issue I I bought um I had to buy five smooth stones because I've been on study break this last month I'm doing a series <clears throat> on Ecclesiastes you could say that one so oh I, wow that's real special that one's being worth talked about but anyway whatever that's ways away nobody's paying attention to what I do next year so the I, I bought that book, but I bought it at like one o'clock on Wednesday, when he recanted his position. Hmm. But I'm not sure if I'm. I don't know if I'm conservative because it was one in the morning. You never yeah. know. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know when he I'd, recanted. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised with I, I don't know the other guy, the Saul's guy, but uh, Russell Moore, um, who I, I've followed, been following his work for a little while. He's a president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, he's great, I, man. I, I'm I, a big. fan I'm not of Russell surprised Moore. with the sort of mature. Uh, response of hey we disagree on this oh, I'm going to still read his stuff and appreciate it. but that I think was the minority yeah. response on day one from from my appearance or from my understanding there was a lot of oh we're done with him um, Zach Hogue who, who was on the podcast this month tweeted a handful of uh, comments from those from the conservative side who went so far as to almost like threaten that he's going to go to hell like eternities in the balance for huh? Yeah, I didn't see <laughs> and that. And so it was not that sort of generous response. Um, and so the next day, <clears throat> after it comes out, you know, it's, uh, he recants. So he doesn't deny saying that. He doesn't disagree with what Merritt reports. He just says, you know, I'm going to recant that statement. <clears throat> I wish I wouldn't have said it. Yeah. And then you get the other side who are, uh, some were generous, some were not so generous. Uh, it was just a... It was. What were the not generous? Like he was doing it for money. Yeah, that was the um, some of the darker criticism that you know he he was worried about royalties for his books and which I mean maybe so I have no idea what's going on in his head. I would be shocked. Has more than enough. And that that was part of my response. Not so much about his character, but it's about his bank account. I mean, he is. Yeah, like. And and character. I mean, like just listen to the podcast and the. The life's work that the person has done, the guy's mm-hmm. done. I mean, I would, I think if anybody deserves some assuming the best, it would be Eugene. He wrote the Peterson. Bible, literally. He wrote the Bible that many yeah. people have read. Uh, I think he deserves a follow up interview. He deserves time to understand what he's saying. And th- that's what was so perplexing to me as why we don't give people the grace to go, okay, this is one interview. He ha- he says one thing. L- let's give him a chance to explain his opinion more. And maybe you're going to say farewell, Eugene Peterson, but at least hear him out. I mean, just... Uh, w- yeah, well, you know, here's the... This is a great example of of um, why I'm I'm largely off social media and why I think... Um, Eugene Peterson would have said something like that and then recanted. And I, I think if you don't live in the echo chambers, then you just talk and think differently. Like, I I don't think he thinks this is the... Um, that I don't think he knew how hot and volatile this conversation is. Hmm. And part of and part of it is that's on us that is on Christians on social media who this is killing us it's, I don't think Eugene Peterson is in danger of going to hell I think we are I think we're in danger of creating mm-hmm. hell like we're letting hell into God's good world like James says through our our mouths our social media echo chambers our spewing volatile at anybody who disagrees or dares to even I mean that's this is revealing of somebody who's a pastor who has invested their life in caring and being in people's homes like he talked about versus the easy opinion forming thing that you get to do with your butt on a couch um not not investing in other people's 
life. Like, I'm okay if you believe something, but love the people you disagree mm-hmm. with in Jesus' name. Yeah. And know them and like be in their homes yeah. and stuff. Sorry, I'm getting a little preachy, but I do think this is a good example of what's wrong with Christian subculture. Yeah, and- yeah there's a different, uh, a different tone that's taught on social media in which the competition is how can I get to the top? How can I get retweets and likes? And how can I get the attention? Whereas the tone that you're taught in the church, whether you're a pastor or you're just a, um, a church person, you learn to care for people and love people instead of trying to get your voice heard. You try to... And understand, like, the below-the-line issues are, you know, my... Whatever they are Mm -hmm. for people. But one of the dangers of social media, and I don't know if you see this as a pastor, but I think it's making us so fragile. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because it's such thin thin connections over... um, and and you know I, I don't I don't know what I, I was disappointed in the way that happened. Yeah. But. So I got an email from a friend named Alan Howell, who was a uh, graduate of Harding University. And I know Alan. Yeah. So he's a missionary in is Zimbabwe, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he sent me an email uh, following up about the Peterson. Um, conversation and uh, I'm going to read a section to you because it's got a like a great connection he makes here so this is from Al Alan uh, I said I hate that I just called you Al uh, Alan says as you were talking with him it hit me that maybe one of the reasons I and so many others connect with him and his different perspective on ministry is that he is a church planner with your background as a church planner, I wondered if you connect with that as well. I would be curious to know how you think and he thinks his experience as a church planner has shaped his writing in ministry. Uh, been mulling over that today and wanted to share uh, that observation question with you. Um, yeah, that, that was part of the, like the line of question I think I went to pretty early in the conversation of... <clears throat> you like Peterson kept going back to as a pastor, as a pastor, as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned before, I mean... The man has sold a lot of books, and he he has the financial means to do whatever he wants. Um, but he still has this commitment to church, and I think it it shows through in the writing that he does. That he's yeah. he, even the the history of the the message comes not as a writer but as a pastor. Mm-hmm. I loved hearing that story. Really? And yeah, I, I'd heard it before. You know, I can't remember what other book he had written it in, but. Uh, that you know, Galatians not see, seeing the people not um, appreciate what the radicalness of what Paul was doing, but what I loved was that it was the context of why he was doing Galatians is because there's a bunch of he's doing a men's breakfast and there's a bunch of angry men in his church in a in an unsafe and volatile time in Baltimore, yeah. and so he's wanting them to see like this actually addresses your life, and instead of teaching them Greek. He translated the. I, I love that. I mean, I yeah. think that's exactly what pastors do. Yeah. And missionaries, Alan. Hey, uh, I have a friend who's writing for me. I can't say her real name, but she's writing under the name Eva Petros on my blog. And she just wrote a. She's writing frequently asked questions because she's in North Africa in a very un, unsafe, volatile situation with her family. She just wrote a blog about this, about translation. Are you teaching them English? Is a question she gets asked all the time. And her thing is, just like Eugene Peterson, just like any pastor. Yeah. No. They think they in, in the predominantly Islamic 
culture, these villages have heard that their language is bad. Hmm. It's and Arabic is good. And so what they're coming in is because Christianity is so totally different with translation. You know, incarnation and all that. They're coming in and teaching these people to praise God in their own language. Hmm. And that is something a pastor can do. Yeah. You know, connect make connections to your life. Anyway. That's good. I, so he has a lot of love as a pastor. He cares about church. Um, but his feelings about large churches, um, not so positive. Um, not and I, so positive. I think he was talking about churches that are over 2,000 members. And as, as a fellow Christian, I would agree that once you're over 2,000, I think that's the danger zone. Yep, me too. I only have two thousand, so I'm not over. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're. There used to be twenty five hundred there. I guess you have been preaching for a while, oh. <laughs> so I guess that's. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> account for the oh, s- storm and yeah, transition there. I, I hear a lot of people love Jared Robinson, so that makes sense. Um, okay, so he. <laughs> I love Jared Robinson. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was uh, some criticism in the large church, and so you have a weird background because you grew up in a like a twelve member church in Arkansas, and then you go and you work out of school at a six thousand seven, however big it was, the hills. Um, so you have like the two polar opposite experiences of yeah, church. Yeah. Uh, so how did you hear stuff on uh, big church? Um, I didn't quite think it was fair, but for long for large congregations, I, I think he is. Uh, I think he's characterizing them, and I could tell he was trying to say, uh, you know, they're doing a lot of good stuff. I, I know he, I could tell he he's, he knows he's speaking out of deficiency, um, but I think the mistake he's making is assuming that the stuff that happens in small churches can happen on any level at large churches, and that's not mm, true. Yeah. Now, the preaching minister cannot be pastor to everyone in a large church. And I don't know about you, but I do feel guilt about that because of my background in a smaller church. But I do think that, um, you know, like when he said be in their homes, I thought, I'm going to do that. That was convicting. I really do. I want to start just trying to get in more people's homes. I I can count. We were probably Leslie and I and our family. A lot of people don't want to fight. <laughs> there's so. there's more going on there with the their <laughs> yeah. herd, the cadre of, of storm and children. But I think that is a tension of if you've been a small church pastor. And yeah. when I was uh, a church planner, whenever a visitor would show up, they would be invited over to our house and have dinner. And that was part of the, uh, the acculturation yeah, sure. process. And so... That, of course, can't happen now. And so what it looks like to be hospitable and welcoming as a pastor looks different now than it did then, just for just logistics of it. But I, So, yeah, there, there was especially the first year or so here, like a lot of guilt about that. Like, I can't, I can't do what I used yeah. to. Um, but I don't think it's fair to criticize, the, like, say, make this carte blanche kind of statement about, like, all big churches are bad. I, I don't think that's fair, yeah. obviously. And, well... I think you just have to change expectations. I, I mean, I read a, a book this last year called Inside the Large Congregation that was written by this uh, church consultant, and she said that uh, basically pastoral care still has to happen. It just 
you you have to think of a large church like a hundred smaller churches. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And and so that's that's the difference. I, I don't guess Eugene ever working at that assumes that that can't happen, but it does. Yeah. And. And, and in the same way that, you know, terrible stuff happens at small churches, terrible stuff happens at big churches, and yeah. anyway, um, overall, Eugene Peterson, uh, <clears throat> when, uh, when I got the email um, from uh, Water, whoever published it, I think it's Waterbrook, uh, said, hey, would you like to talk to Eugene Peterson? Uh, I was like, of course I would. Yes, let's just make it happen. And so it was an absolute honor to get to talk to him, and um, much respect to Manderson. A lot of great stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. Um, all right, let's get it over with. The one in the tag team sermon. I know um, <laughs> I know you're just licking your chops to somehow make fun of me about... Hey, man, whatever you have to do to get people to listen to your sermons, put it on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was, just, if that's- I was just proud of my church. I was proud of what we're doing as a church, and I wanted to share that. Uh, with all my friends in the podcast, and I, I guess you, what you share online is like your blog and stuff like that. I just try to share part of my church, and if you want to make fun of me for that, <laughs> do your thing. No, I do want to make fun of you for that, but not because of you being proud of your church <laughs> or whatever. Um, you you said in there that you get criticism for stuff just being a preacher, and I I've skipped that too, but you haven't got any criticism for this. Yeah, and, and I hope people understand, like, that was a, a, a compliment to say that. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Like, if, if you're not a... Yeah. Anybody who's done leadership. Yeah. yeah, you get that. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the overwhelming response has been, like, this is such a positive thing, and I think people... Yeah, I think the less time people have to listen to you, if they can bring other people in, don't really care who... I mean, you could bring in, you know, Dawkins, hmm. and... That's where you're going to go. And I really think That's, he, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. That's hurtful. That's really. Meryl wouldn't talk to me this okay, way. Okay, so here's here's the good stuff. I <coughs> I I thought y'all's banter was great in a sermon, and I could tell like your church was engaged. Yeah. Uh, when he made fun of you for not tucking in your shirt, that was money. Yeah. It was money. Yeah. And, yeah, we knew that one would would go well. And uh, Meryl's a guy that I've really enjoyed getting to know, and it's just been an absolute blast to get to know. Uh, a pastor who's literally right across the street from us, and um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. His church, um, so excited to be there. There's a lot of positivity from their side. Our our people were very excited about it. You could see. Uh, I, I know you're. I don't do social media, which is like the new way of saying uh, I don't have a TV. I don't have cable in my house. Like it's the same sort of braggadocious claim. <laughs> um, so you you wouldn't know this. But hey, I have a spiritual director who told me I had I needed to get off social media. Let me send a list so, of other things you need to stop doing over to this guy. Um, <laughs> this podcast, I think, would probably be at the top of his list. But the 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 church's response on social media, like they were really proud of this, and so it was it was really special and. Uh, you know, to have a Church of Christ and an Episcopal Church share communion together on a Sunday morning was pretty neat. Oh, yeah. I I honestly, I mean, for people who are outside of our tradition and, um, you know, you don't get it, Churches of Christ have had, um, I, I love our people and I, they are my people. Yeah. But we have a, a, a stretch where we were very sectarian mm-hmm. and not not trying to be evil or anything. Just this is the way... Uh, we were trying to draw boundary lines, and things got a little, 
more rigid than they should have. And yeah. for a while, we became like the village, the movie, the village. Monsters on the outside. Yep. Get the fences up high. Yep. And so my heart swelled. You know, I mean, we get to do this at Highland. I was very happy that Westover did that, and not just did that, but received that so well. Yeah. Yep. Did you do the the Episcopalians are coming video? I made a post about that. Oh, 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 oh yeah, 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 because we were in Greece, and I was like, hey, I've got this great idea. And uh, Yeah, so we're on the Parthenon, <coughs> and Luke all of a sudden is like, oh, oh, and makes a phone call to Austin yeah. at like, what, one in the morning? <laughs> I don't know. Um, leaving a message <laughs> to make a video about the Episcopalians. Or it was a like, great idea. Um, Paul Revere. Yeah, so I called uh, my buddy Scott that I work with, and... Uh, he was like, um, so I got your message uh, while I was asleep, and uh, I wasn't sure if you're serious or kidding. And uh, I was like, no, 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 I, I think it's a great idea. And then he told me everyone's out of town. And I was like, oh, okay, well, couldn't do it. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Merrill, uh, in the sermon, there's a joke about him only getting to preach 12 minutes. And uh, so the next Sunday, I get a text at the end of service, or, you know, church time's over, it's noon or whatever. And he goes, Luke, I, uh, I preached 25 minutes today. And I was like, yep, once you get set free, once you get taken out of the cage, you can't go back in. Um, anyway. So, yeah, no, that, was, uh, that was a fun one to share. Um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about Zach. Zach Hope. Okay. Did, you, um, did you know Zach? Have you, I guess you're not on social media, so you don't know him. Um, no, uh, I, think, I think we follow each other or you retweet him or something. I get on Twitter once a day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I listened to his Dexter podcast um, and liked it. I, I don't know. First off, can you tell me the basic premise behind True Detective? I watched one episode a long time ago and was so confused I never watched another. Uh, the premise is that you have partners who are diametrically opposed. Uh, one is a nihilist. Um, he's like Mark Weathers. Remember Mark? Uh, <laughs> so, like, real good at karate? Yeah, he's really good at karate and, and extremely smart. And then you have Woody Harrelson, who's kind of like this, a nice guy, kind of a simpleton. And, um, like a me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of. Super nice. Yeah. Wonderful, charming. No, I mean, he cheats on his wife with a teenager or whatever. Oh, so, come so, on. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like you. But, uh, uh, so you have the, like, the deeply flawed anti-hero who has to solve a, a criminal case while being at odds with each other. Uh, first season was extremely good. Uh, second season's terrible. Okay. Anyway. Uh, but Zach has this uh, deep love for integrating cinema, uh, the small screen, whatever, in, yeah. into his work, and I think it's, um, it's refreshing. I, what I liked about the interview was our about this guy first off he seems very likable but some often people who grow up in religious abuse situations walk away from church mm-hmm. um and he has not done that oh. and i admire that greatly what do you think makes people not walk away from church when they've had those sort of like abusive cultish um domineering kind of church experiences you know, I think a real experience with God has got to be behind it. It's kind of a straight like that. Because um, if you if you do have, and I don't, it doesn't have to be a charismatic experience. It can be something else. But 
you know, like a science mic, whatever. It's a mystical experience, yeah. But, I mean, then somebody the other day we were talking, there's a, a person who lost their faith. They, you know, publicly deconverted, but they're like, but I still believe in church. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, good luck with that. It's usually, yeah, interesting. God is way easier to believe <laughs> in than <Sure>. church. <laughs> I believe in church because God believes in church. That's why. Um, That's funny. But I do believe in the church because God believes in the church. Yeah. So I was impressed by that. And then the other part of the interview that kind of stood out to me was, you know, baptizing Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. I like Bernie Bernie as much as the next guy, but um, I think, and the reason I'm, I'm... saying this is not to throw him under the bus because it's a kind of common sentiment i think progressive christians we are if you scratch the surface more than christian progressive Hmm. and i'm not saying that about zach but it's a fair question like overall though is it are are you more progressive or are you more christian yeah we're putting too much weight on that adjective which is almost like the, that, the pendulum has swung the other direction where you have... And, okay, and this is my point. This is my point. Richard Beck, did you follow that blog series he did a couple of weeks ago or a month ago about how when we say Anabaptist, what progressive Christians mean, meant with that really was we've become Democrats. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's my point. You notice how anti-war Christians were and against the empire they were when George W. was in office, and then when Barack Obama became president, the anti-war rhetoric evaporated. Yeah. And, uh, like, I get it. I mean, part of it is I'm proud to have uh, the first black president, Um, but at some point somebody's got to say, well, he was like a few drone strikes away from being the most deadly Nobel Peace Prize winner in history. Yeah. You know, and and the anti-war, if that goes away, if if it goes away once a certain party is in power, then who are you really? What are you really against? Because yeah. Caesar still isn't Lord, even if Hillary wins. I, I mean, I believe that. I'm not saying that against Democrats. I, I probably have more sympathies towards Democrats than Republicans, but the I vote for Jesus every time, so I'm a non-threat. And I, I really do think um, we often – so here's, here's the reason I'm saying this. I think we are reaping what we sowed with the religious right right now. I think we are. But I also am hearing the very same kind of people who said five, six, ten years ago that I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like that. Yeah. Say exactly what people said in the eighties and nineties, but for the different political platform. Yeah. Is that fair? I, I mean, I, honestly, I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah, and and again, I think you were trying to say this isn't. You're not criticizing Zach, but more like the idea. Oh of, yeah, very much so, Zach. Much love, man. Much love. Go buy his book. The light is winning. Um, <clears throat> no, I, I mean, I think pendulum swing. I, I thought. I, I don't know Jim Wallace. I haven't had, had him on the podcast or anything, but I remember probably grad schoolish time he was doing his um what was his book title um i forget what it was 
God's politics. Yeah, that's what it was. And yeah, his yeah. stuff was, you know, God is not Republican. Um, and it's, oh, yeah, that's so helpful. And let's move past the religious right stuff. And then you follow his career track. And now he's deeply aligned uh, as a Democrat. And you go, okay, so you were saying God's not a Republican or Democrat, but now you're a Democrat yourself, um, which I, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a political leaning. I'm just saying sure, when yeah. it's... Ov- Vote. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying voting's wrong, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have political involvement, but if you're not going to baptize Republicans or you're not going to baptize Democrats, don't go to the opposite side and switch back and forth as though the reason that you are so against one side is therefore um, validated when you go... It just... Political idolatry is not a partisan problem. Yeah, agreed. It is. I mean, nationalism gets mixed up in there, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it. If it was true, if that was true, then you would see a lot of people being afraid and anxious, unwilling to admit the commonalities that they have with people on the other side of the political mm-hmm. aisle. I mean, if national idolatry was a thing, that's the kind of stuff that you would see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I see it. Yeah. Well, one thing you didn't see is True Detective, and that's one thing that Zach talks about in his book. And, um, yeah, fix that. It's first season was good. Anyway. Um, it, I don't have cable. <laughs> if people could see that you're wearing that white A shirt right now or whatever you want to call it. Because you... I'm just I'm saying, this, for, uh, this, this might be the least likable version of Stormont. When you're multi- multiple times saying that you don't do internet, and you don't have cable, and you're wearing that shirt. Least likable version. Uh, <laughs> and after spending a lot of time with you this month, I've had a lot of opportunities to say, this is the least likable version. But this, <laughs> this is truly it. Ditto. Ditto. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> I do have cable. We do have cable, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, speaking of likable moments, do you remember that? Time you tried to give me a kiss on the cheek on Aphrodite's temple. Remember that? That was special. Did yeah, that I was did. special. Um, hey, that's biblical, is what it is. We're in the place where the Bible was written. I don't think so. what was happening there was Bible writing at Aphrodite's temple. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're familiar with your history lessons, but that's not what they did there. Um, okay, okay, we've got one more uh, podcast cover. Our man, Brian's on. Heck yeah. Dude, I am so excited about going to that prayer thing at Pepperdine. If he does mm-hmm. that, because you know he's always so mysterious about it. I only do this in person. <laughs> and, you know, I, so I really have for years wanted to go to it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very glad Mike freaking Cope got him to do it Mikey at Pepperdine. C. Dropping it like it's hot. Well done. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Actually, Beck had even talked about, hey, let's go up to one of those prayer schools because he was so interested in it. Um, so there you go. Everyone got a lot to deliver. Yeah, let's Don't screw it up, BZ. We all want to hear. <laughs> we, there's a lot of Church of Christ people that need to have their prayer lives fixed, and we're expecting oh, you to yeah. do it. Um, yeah, I'm a, yeah I've, I've never, uh, I don't think I've, Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen him in person. One, I met him in person one time uh, in Houston, but uh, I think he's going to do great at Pepperdine, and that's a great reason to go to the lectures this next year, uh, just to hear from him. His book... How was his book? It was oh. really good. Um, it's, it's a very accessible... Um, inter- not, it's not just an introduction, but it's a very accessible um, discussion on some very touching subjects that I think would be very essential for almost any 
person of faith to be educated on. And so I, um, it, it's a very important book. It's very accessible. Like, so could I give it to my dad? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a yes. If you, want, okay. if you want someone to talk to um, all people about the idea of, okay, how does violence, the wrath of God, uh, atonement, uh, heaven and hell, like all those like really tough issues, which all are under the umbrella of God, uh, you know, sinners in the ha- hands of an angry God. Like if you're moving past an angry God to a loving God, you know, the book deals with all those issues. So it, I, I mean, it's a, I'll be interested to see how the response for this book goes. I, I think it comes out in a couple weeks, but um, yeah, I would. Oh, it's not out yet. Okay. Yeah. I think it, I was honestly, I was trying to wait and push, uh, post this one in August sometime, but uh, I ran James Jim Martin. James Martin got sick, and we had to postpone the interview. So anyway, all that to say, his um, did you did you listen to Greg Boyd's stuff? Um, yeah, I bought that book because of that interview, and they actually sounded somewhat hmm. similar in their um, their take on how they read the Bible, although. Um, and here's what I mean by that. I, I texted a, a mutual friend of ours who, you know, is a little more skeptical of of the way they talk about the Bible. And it's, I, I wanted him to listen to that podcast because I, I think often people who talk the way or land the where, where they land on certain issues do it from a place that makes me think they don't respect the Bible. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, if if the Bible and I disagree, I'm going to. I think I need to assume the Bible is right, and I am okay. wrong. Um, I, I mean, I honestly think the human condition is so thorough that we are easily self deceived. Yeah. You know, we we Joel Olstein the Bible all the time. And so, when, but for our particular cause, and so many people who land on these places the way they do, you assume would have a lower right. Yeah, like um, <laughs> they don't. You know, I I agree. The reason I think that you got to reconsider those passages in the Old Testament is because God is like Jesus, um, but Jesus really respected the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus reinterprets the Bible through Himself and says. This is what God is like, and that's a good way to get there instead of, well, we've evolved, and now... Yeah. I, I think trying to read it through who Jesus is, and this is, I think, BZ's language of, like, the Bible's infallible in its ability to point people to Jesus, and that's what it does infallibly, is it gets people to Jesus, and Jesus, as John's Gospel will tell us, is the Word of God, and that's ultimately where it's all pointed. And so I... Like you, I, I I would rather say we read everything because of Jesus, not because we've evolved and we've yeah. gotten better. Yeah. So, well, it was a good month, man. Yeah, good. It was a good month on a lot of levels. Our friendship um, just blossomed. Oh, jeez. How much closer to me do you feel now? Uh, like one step. One. One step. One yeah, the fact that step. I learned that you had a girlfriend in college who. Um, stop stop i can't tell the story yeah i can <laughs> who tragically broke up with you but you still were nice enough to play the piano at her wedding like that speaks to how nice of a guy you are like that's really sweet of you to do that and i like you more now 
You know, I learned some things too. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we're just getting stuff off our chest. <laughs> this will be where the hard edit begins. Uh, <laughs> oh, and this gosh, is where we jump directly topic. to Podbean. Thanks. <laughs> 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 this podcast is brought to you by Pod. No, I didn't even have to cut anything out there. Yeah, it was it was a good month. Uh, good. Hey, and I'm excited about doing this series with you. Who comes next? Podcast. Oh, um, I just recorded one with Jeremy Courtney. Uh, oh yeah, pre- the guy in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Um, Preemptive love. Yes, that was a. Uh, the dude is actually from like North Austin, right? Like literally where my wife went to high school. They were to the same. Mm. Um, it was a pretty intense conversation. Uh, obviously, if you got a guy who's living, who's had ISIS make threats on his life and or attempts, yeah. or maybe I, I, I'm not 100 percent sure in the details there, but um, it was an intense conversation that. I, I think people will really connect to because of his honesty and his, um, anyway, there's a lot going on there that, um, uh, you're going to like that one. <clears throat> I think we might get, uh, we're still trying to get that, uh, James Martin podcast straightened away and, um, got a couple more in the works. So, hey, ask him what he thinks about Ross Dutat, oh, the New York Times column. Okay. Ross. He's a Catholic mm-hmm. and, um, very thoughtful guy. Yeah. Okay. I'll ask him. Well, Jonathan, let me tell you one more thing. If you've thought any more about starting a podcast, do you know who you need to go to? Podbean. Podbean. For all your podcast hosting and publishing needs, they'll take care of you like they've taken care of me. Jonathan, thanks for taking care of this wrap-up podcast. Well done. You're welcome, Luke. Good and faithful podcast yeah. friend. <laughs> It's good to be with you again. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.